Hey everyone, welcome to Disrupting Our Practice. I'm Shannon Patterson. And I'm Greg Flynn. This podcast is for white-bodied leadership and organization development consultants, facilitators, coaches, and trainers. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to the exploration of how we practitioners can disrupt our practices. Those practices where we are unwittingly perpetuating racism, oppression, and harm. And it's all in service to being able to co-create a culture of equity, justice, and healing. So we live in a world that truly works for everyone. Thanks for joining us as we work to disrupt our practice. Hey, Greg. Hello, Shannon. Getting into a little rhythm here. Another week, another podcast. I know, right? It's nice to have some consistency. It is. And to feel some ease, because that is not our experience. <laughs> Often, <laughs> not with each other, but I mean, just in, you know, trying new things. So this is fun. Mm, Shall we start yeah. with the check-in? I would love to start with a check-in. Do you want me to go first? Or do you want to go first? Uh, why don't you go first? Just curious yeah, how sure. you're doing mentally, yeah. emotionally, spiritually, physically. Um, I'll go in that order. Uh, mentally, I'm I'm good. I'm clear. I am uh, I'm feeling really present. So that's that's good. Emotionally, I'm feeling uplifted. And you know the um, yeah, I'm our little check in before this check in um, brought some uh, some grounding for me. So I'm feeling good and glad to be here. Um, spiritually, spiritually, hmm, what would I say? I'm, you know, I think I would just say I'm, you know, I always feel kind of an openness when I, when we have these beautiful sunny days here in Seattle. And so I'm, I'm still experiencing that enjoying sitting in my air conditioner, but looking out that window and seeing all the sun. Yeah. And physically I'm feeling good, feeling good in my body, feeling, um, yeah, I could definitely use some movement, but that'll come soon. So that's me. I'm in. How about yourself? Great. Glad to have you here uh, in all the ways. Yeah, body's feeling good. Um, I feel you on the movement. I lifted a heavy bag of groceries and my back is sore and I'm like, that's just sad. So um, just feeling aware of wanting to have more strength in my body. Um, and let's see, spiritually, I spent a lot of time at Carkeek Park yesterday overlooking the Puget mm. Sound and just chatting with Jonathan and sort of taking it all in. And it was lovely. I'm amazed at what two hours on the beach can do mm. in all sorts of ways. Uh, so that really filled me up emotionally. I had a really spacious weekend. Um, it's feeling a little despairing this morning, to be honest, just about climate change and the state of the world and all of that. Um, mm. uh, it feels like a constant sense of foreboding, actually. I was noticing in myself. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, mentally feeling pretty, pretty grounded. I'm also noticing like an undercurrent of um, <laughs> definitely wanting to disrupt some things. Um, mm -hmm. Hence, hence this podcast and our energy. So, um, I'm very in. Great. Yeah, glad to have you here. Really. Uh... Mm -hmm. And I feel you with the foreboding and I, I actually think it kind of points to a little bit what we were going to talk about today, right? Which is in some yeah. ways the, the water we swim in, 
Um, yep. The things we don't, we don't necessarily notice or look at or um, think about because in some ways we're kind of conditioned to, to not do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think just thinking of our, as we were chatting before, just, you know, for our fellow practitioners and trainers and facilitators and all those people in this space of leadership development and organizational development, people development, you know, the disruption in ourselves and that use of self of really the water that we swim in and we have to see what we're not seeing and feel what we're not feeling and think what we're not thinking. And I think really, really interrogate things. And that's not a word I like to use because it feels so mm. unfriendly, mm. but um, yeah, en enough of our comfort already. I think we need to interrogate some things and yeah. learn how to be in that in a way that feels relational and supportive and generative and co-creative mm -hmm. and that feels like a stretch for me i think i can disrupt shit mm. <laughs> but it usually comes with disconnection and that's not mm. what we need anymore of so mm. yeah that's what i find myself thinking about is like why are we having this conversation anyway <laughs> yeah and i, I actually don't want to i want to bookmark what you just said there about like disrupting stuff but it comes with coming with disconnection and i think that's something to to bookmark for for down the road. But, um, yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting, right? Because we're in a field, um, of, of like doing culture work. Right. And I think it's probably not uncommon for a lot of the folks who are, um, who are listening to this to know what it feels like to go into, um, an executive's office or a leader's office and start talking to them about culture and get that kind of quizzical look on their face. Like, what are you talking about? Or like, what do we like, or the idea of like culture being something that gets developed in a workshop, you know, right. and then like, right. you know, and then it becomes like a thing you put on the wall or something as opposed to actually analyzing the, um, the, the world we're living in and the ways we're actually showing up with each other and whatnot. And, in some ways, I think what's interesting about this, we're so familiar with that in, in our field, but we don't necessarily take a larger step back and talk about the culture within which the cultures of organizations get developed and created and generated. And what are the things that um, are informing the ways that we, um, the ways we've created those cultures, you know, and, and what is it we're, what are the undiscussables around that? And what are the things that we're um, completely blind to or ignorant of, um, even though they're right under our nose literally every day? Yeah, I mean, I think this to me has been alive as I've been reading all of the stuff about quiet quitting that's out there now. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And all of the dialogue around that and just noticing as always with a lot of these things is so much of the conversation is about what individuals are doing. You yeah. know, and I think quiet quitting is awesome. We should do it. We should do it more. <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of good to be talked about there that is about individuals taking back their lives and saying no more and don't dehumanize me. And I stop, stop all the nonsense um, around that, but it's still on the individual, right? So I'd like right. to turn it back and say, hey, organizations, which are not some abstract thing. Hey, leaders, hey, people, hey, people in power. Like, what are we doing? And why are you doing it? And 
yeah so i'd like to totally change that orientation um, in yes. the conversation yeah yeah i mean i guess maybe another way of saying that is getting into the question of like are we sure that this is the way things are supposed to be or the way things just are you know we hear that a lot right it's like well it's just how it is you know um, and definitely just not so sure that that is true. Yeah. Do you mean an assistance like, well, we're just all supposed to go to work and be productive and we're all supposed to want to do that. And that's just the way we are. And that's what well, the way you know, do. Is that what you mean by like, that's just the way it is? Well, the way, you know, when it comes to the quiet quitting thing, it's like, you know, the way, the way it is, is if you don't work, if you don't work extra, if you don't work outside, if you don't take on more responsibilities than your job description is, then of course you're not going to advance. Of course you're right. not going to, you know, and, and the Great value, you know, right. There's, there's right. a, there, there are some assumptions that are rooted in that, that are not necessarily um, like conscious agreements that we've made collectively. Um, right. And, you know, it's, I, and I think it's also, I think, I do think it's important to note that a couple of things that I've seen in, in relationship to this piece on, on quiet quitting, just kind of a sidebar. Um, one of which is that, there is a, um, there are some assumptions that everyone gets to quiet quit, <laughs> you know, uh, like, yes, right. It's privileged um, in and of itself. Exactly. Yeah. And then the other thing is, is like that it's somehow a new phenomenon, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, that like, and there are people who have been kind of holding those kinds of boundaries and maybe to their, to, to some, you know, cost to them in their careers for yeah. for some time. Yeah, I was talking yeah. to my mom about that, who, you know, has been an OD forever, which always feels weird to say, like, well, my mom says, uh, but she said, you know, <laughs> we used to call that, we used to call that quit and stay, you know, back in the day, you did a quit and stay. So. Um, Interesting. It's yeah. funny how it's, it's it, then in some ways, it's, it's always been framed in terms of quitting as opposed to like, um, respectfully doing your work. <laughs> <laughs> You know, or, like, like, or like holding a boundary, a healthy boundary and doing the thing you were being paid to do. <laughs> exactly. And saying, Hey, organizations and leaders and managers who don't want to eat into profits and won't hire more people, like clean up your role and responsibility shit. And, you know, I'll be here when you get done. I'd be happy to help. Yeah. But, so I think there's a lot of generative uh, things that could happen if we could change the conversation at that yeah. from away from the individual and away to what's possible. My mom and I were laughing about this and I'm like, you know, I want to be in the conversation that says, how can we work as little as possible while still maintaining like delivery of what we all deeply care about? Like what if we, like what, what would be liberated and made possible and, mm -hmm. and, um, Anyway, I think, I mean, I, this is a digression sort of, um, mm. but, but not really um, in terms of like, you know, what are the things that keep us from being able to have conversations like that? Um, mm -hmm. And it comes down to, I think, what we were going to talk to today, which was culture and the characteristics of white supremacy and how that's running, you know, it's the underpinning of things and mm -hmm. how do we see where, where that's playing out, how that's playing out. Yeah, for sure. And that's one of the things that's so interesting, right? So we, when we were talking about this and we decided to kind of like anchor into this, this artifact, that's a useful artifact for 
um, navigating or and trying to understand white supremacy cultures. Tema Okun's paper on white supremacy culture, characteristics of white supremacy culture, um, yeah. and which we will link to in the show notes. And um, they've updated it. She updated it um, a year or two ago, which is really nice and added some things to it that I think are were, were missing. But what's what's really funny about it and I think you've had this experience too, is, you know, I use this program, I use this in my understanding whiteness program. Same. Um, and pretty much every single time I share it with folks, uh, they say the same thing, which is like, well, that's just like all organizations. Well, that's just, that's just human nature. That's another thing yeah. I hear. That's just yeah. human nature. Right. Yeah. And there's this, so kind of back to that question of like, well, are we sure that that's true? <laughs> Like, yeah. are we sure that, that it's human nature? Are we sure that like, because it, it, it stands to reason that if we're creating cultures within organizations, that those cultures are being created within the context of the larger culture that we all are living in. And I think it's, it's pretty safe to say at this point that we live within a white supremacy culture. You know, and this here, at least here in, in the United States, and I would argue that that's been exported. It's one of, I think, our greatest exports um, as a as a nation. Well, yeah, and we, that's a whole other thing. I think I would recommend the Seeing White podcast, you know, at this point as an entry point to understanding, you know, where that started and also Western Europe and, you know, colonial mm -hmm. settler sure. imperialism yeah. and, you know, how all that goes. So it's a big... Sure. It's a big topic. Um, I guess I also would like to highlight, I know, at least from reading the references on white supremacy cultures, uh, and I don't even know if we're saying Tema Okun's name correctly, but she also is very inclusive of all of the people that have contributed. So there's a big, yes. long list of people that have been tending this work for a very long time. So I just would want to bring, bring that in. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Do we, should we read these? Assuming that people yeah. haven't, don't know what they are. Yeah, I think it's a good idea to just go through and read the read the highlights. I mean, the the the, the headers of, of of all of them. I can't remember exactly how many there are. I think it used to be like sixteen, and I think it's like a few more now. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, do you do you, do you want to read them? Sure. It's going to take me some mad scrolling to do it. So uh, perfectionism also known as One Right Way, <laughs> Paternalism and Objectivity. I, I sure feel that, right? Uh, perfectionism and feeling like things are inadequate and I didn't do it right and all of that. Uh, so the next one on the list that I come to is this either or thinking, you know, and the binary, it's this or that. There's no and, it's good, bad, right, wrong, us, them. Another one is kind of the belief that progress is bigger and more and that you want quantity over quality. I think our obsession with scale and growth um, and all of that makes us think we're making progress. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. We're certainly growing and scaling. <laughs> not sure that we're making progress. Worship of the written word. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. I mean, I would even say of the spoken word you know, being articulate and coherent and all the things that go with, with that expectation. Mm -hmm. 
certainly individualism, which we were talking about just a few minutes ago. It's all about the individual and like, I'm the only one that can fix it, do it, change it, all of those yes. things. Um, very isolated, kind of a knee jerk reaction to defensiveness and denial um, to things. Mm -hmm. I hear that a lot is, well, that's just humans. It's like, well, sure, we all want to, you know, protect our vulnerability, but there's a way in which that is our first response, defensiveness and denial, um, mm -hmm. not relational and curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, so there's also the right to comfort. We know that a lot. Sometimes I think about that and as practitioners of confusing right to comfort and psychological safety, fear mm -hmm. of open conflict and power hoarding. You know, I think mm -hmm. about that in terms of power hoarding and control. So mm -hmm. I think it's important. How do we control space, hoard power, avoid conflict, and keep ourselves comfortable? Mm -hmm. And next one is urgency. I think we all feel that all the time. Right, hustle mm -hmm. culture. Let's see, I think those were the primary ones that I'm seeing on this. I feel like there were many others, but that this update has I think simplified around some, a few. Is that true? Yeah, there's a well, I think what they what she did is she condensed a few of them into the similar batches. There were two though that got that that um that were on there that I think your your scroll fingers zip past, which is I, I uh want to make Are room for. Are you saying for, I did it wrong? I'm saying, I'm saying that, you know, like you're human. Exactly. Help me out. What did um, I miss? Yeah. So the first one, um, is up top and it's a new one. Um, mm. and it's fear. Um, and you know, one of the things that, um, what she says is, you know, like fear is a driver for culture and mm. a lot. So there's so much. In it. And I think the quiet quitting thing plays into that. Right. Cause like, Part of the idea, part of the the reason that we are um, so willing to take on other things or work the extra hours or not say speak up is because we're afraid of what the impact of that's going to be on us. Um, so that was that's one of them. And then the other one that I noticed was we're going to get to it here. You know what I would add into that? I'm struck by yeah. underneath fear, fear of not being good enough, not being enough, mm -hmm. right? Not being lovable, not being productive. Yeah, just, totally. I totally runs through everything that I that I hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, yeah. absolutely. And like so many leaders, you know, like the fear of not like being found out as a fraud. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that too. And how disconnecting the, uh, that is. So. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. What else um, did I miss? Then, and then qualified. Oh, like yeah. Qualified, and this is what I, I think. This is such a big one, right? I mean, like, you know. Like yeah, I even see these these posts go by on LinkedIn from recruiters who were talking about how, you know, I don't know how to how I'm supposed to find an entry level person who's who's willing to work at this entry level salary, um, that has these like these qualifications because the qualifications are all like mean that you're an experienced worker, you know, it's like five years experience. Like, well, wait a minute, how is that entry level, you know, and. And so like, there's this, there's this requirement for like, I'm qualified to do this, that I think it gets in the way of creativity and it gets in the way of generativity and creating inclusive um, spaces, especially because, you know, it, it, it can leave out an entire population of people who actually may very well be exactly who you need to, to do that work. So, and I'm sure much more as far as that goes. And 
can I read a piece there that I'm feeling yeah. really struck by? Yeah. You know, thinking about who will listen to, you know, are they qualified? Are they credentialed? Mm. And then like all the ways it says here, you know, that ignores and erases the culture, wisdom, genius, joy of people and communities of those being saved by the credentialed qualified people, mm. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, while seizing their land, labor, architecture, music, food, and other material goods to commodify Ooh. for profit. Yes. So I think yeah. that's just, there's so much in that one in particular, where I think of where our field of OD um, has co-opted a lot of other practices. Mm. Um, oh, for sure. And the, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how, you know, he wanted to set people straight. And there's a lot of things pointing to that coming from his time with the Blackfoot and a complete misconstrual of what that was. Yeah. So, so that was indigenous knowledge yep. that he, that he uh, appropriated um, yep. and became, became, yeah, it's, it's a, um, it's not an uncommon thing, unfortunately. And I have a feeling we wouldn't have to dig very far to figure out how a significant number of the models and processes that we're all very familiar with were tied to other cultures. Yeah. And I mean, I feel of, that in my own work. I mean, I've noticed where I dig and I'm like, wow. Yeah. yeah. Lots of things yeah. to pay attention to here. Yeah. And I think this is one of the things that why it's so important to do the affinity work, um, the affinity caucusing work is because to have those kinds of conversations and process all of that in, in spaces that are um, safe to do so, right. Where we can actually um, kind of, move through our experiences of it without having to put the, the labor on um, our colleagues of color or clients or um, other folks in our lives. Yeah. So true. I'm wondering, Greg, if one thing we might do, this is a spur of the moment idea is even to take quiet quitting and look at it through the lens of each of these characteristics to see what we see? I know that's very specific, or do you want to talk in a larger I, way? I think we, no, I think we could certainly do that. I think what's important, um, what I'd like to, to get to with, when it comes to this is the question of, as practitioners, what do we do with this? You know, what do we do and how do we consider, um, how do we consider uh, the, our roles in, um, disrupting, you know, disrupting these things. Um, each of us are, you know, none of us as individuals is going to um, end white supremacy culture. That would just be to, to think that way would be to, to play right into the characteristics, right? Back to individualism and, or I'm the only one or whatever. But we can all have, we can all have our, our impact, but that requires us actually looking at how is it we contribute to these? How do we react to these? How do we um, how do these impact us? What are we willing to look at? What are the, you know, I, I've had numerous conversations with folks who've been like, I, I disagree with the premise of these things. And it's like, okay, right, well, we have to start there and some, sometimes. So anyways, that's, that's what comes up for me. So I guess I'm struck by the premise of these things, perhaps being like a piece of work. If people are 
you know, in that, in that thought themselves, like, well, I'm not sure, you know, is, mm -hmm. is to do some reading about the characteristics of white supremacy. And there's a lot out there and, you know, just kind of be in that inquiry. And I don't know that I'm trying to think there's some question about, you know, what, why is it so challenging to imagine that these are true? You know, mm -hmm. or to, if you if you were to try on these characteristics of white supremacy as being true, to just notice what that brings up in you, mm -hmm. you know, just judgment, shame, you know, all those all those things, disbelief, whatever, and just be with that, and that can be a a great place to start. Yeah, um, yeah, just notice. Yeah, so it, it can be a, a, a an activity to like take each one and, and like journal on them or be in a conversation with a trusted friend or colleague, um, find a, find a, a group to, you know, to have a conversation in. maybe there's a, maybe there's a, a an affinity group. To I think that's such an important, to... I think that's such an important thing, Greg is like, don't do this in isolation. So I, I think that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And so I guess based on what you said, do you want to like unpack the quiet quitting through this? I wasn't sure if that was a yes or a no. I heard what was important was why do it? What's the value? I think it could be useful to do like maybe not each, maybe not all of them, but like to go through, to go through a few of them. Yeah. Is there one that speaks to you as a starting point? Well, I spoke a little bit about fear. Um, you know, and, and how I see, how I see it is an expression of, you know, the, the fear we, we have such a, we have so much fear around not uh, fulfilling our role. And, and even if, and if our role, we see our role as being beyond what we were actually hired for, or that's the expectation or the sensed expectation, then, you know, then we're going to be driven by that sort of a fear. I'm just scrolling through them again here. I think I what I would add on to, can I, maybe we could, like, yeah. you yeah. go, I go on each one of these or something. Sounds great. Um, as you're talking, I'm thinking about uh, more the other side. Like what, what are some of the things I see about how managers and leaders could be trying to deal with, you know, mm. deal with. Uh, quiet quitting that feels like it could be very fear driven. You know, if you do that, you won't get ahead. Um, and mm -hmm. so all the ways that fear is going to be used. And I think if anyone gets brought in to talk about that, I think for me, I would be on alert for opportunities to like name, at least name it, right? Sometimes that's the only thing, but like with your client sitting around the table and the leadership team that wants you to run a workshop to talk about quiet quitting or engagement or whatever the case may be, I think I might hold some questions in my mind about, you know, questions I would ask to maybe reframe that or what else could they do? Or that sounds to me like this, what might the impact of that be? You know, mm -hmm. is there a non-fear driven way to talk about what's happening. And so, that might be yeah. part of, you know, something for folks in our positions to be thinking about, right. Is, is not just the, the fear of somebody who is trying to like right size their world and not maybe overextend themselves at work, but what is the fear within the culture 
that is creating uh, this idea that like if people aren't working 50 hours a week, then we're never going to make it. You know, what's the fear within the culture that's like, and this kind of comes to another one of the, you know, the characteristics of progress is bigger or more quantity over quality, you know, of like, I would say, you know, that idea of up and to the right is like such a bias that we hold that it's always got to be up and to the right. And if, if this week we can't do more and more than we did last week, then somehow we're failing. Certainly next quarter, you know, we always, there's always this quarterly earnings goals and, and some of that's driven by, you know, these economic systems that I think are largely influenced by, if not in service to um, these cultures, like things like white supremacy culture. And, you know, there are cultures that we haven't talked about, right? Like patriarchy, <laughs> you know, and other, other oppressive systems that we live within. Um, but if that is the, if we're not in, if we are not um, thinking about that or asking, are we sure that if we don't kill ourselves this week, that we're not going to be okay? Well, I think there's also a lot of research and, you know, lived experiences of, you know, people in places and whole countries like France, uh, you know, having a shorter work week um, and having more, if not better, not just productivity, but like still delivering, still being innovative, not, not missing their numbers in fact, you know, and I think it even goes to what if it's possible that everyone right-sizing their jobs and being honest about it and, you know, being in those conversations willingly together produces something even better, right? And mm -hmm. you have more rested, you know, employees that are have more capacity to show up and you know, be there when they're there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think there's a lot we could disrupt, you know, or just change the nature of the question, change your questions, change your life, you know, change your questions, change your focus. Like, what are we centering? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's funny because as, as you were just talking, I was scrolling through these, these characteristics again, and, and I came to defensiveness and denial, you know, and, and it's so interesting how like this, like you were saying, um, you know, your mom's day, what did you say it was called? Quit and stay. Quit and stay. You know, and now it's quiet quitting and it's all through that lens, right? It's through the lens of the, the employer and kind of putting something on this person who's like said, like, actually I've drawn a boundary here. And, and like, where does that defensiveness come from? Like, or, you know, the denial of the fact that like, actually we're just, you, you know, what you have, the people you have working for you are, are humans. <laughs> They're human beings that are that are coming to work because they need a job and they, you know, hopefully they love what they do and hopefully it's meaningful to them. But it's not their end all be all like center of their world. Probably it's more of their family or you know some other things outside their lives. And and so why why are we denying that? You know what is it? What is that about? Yeah, well, I think that's such an important question. What is that about? You know, and I think seeing, you know, where and our historical background, you know, do humans become, have been some more than others, you know, resources to be consumed. Um, yep. And that's what we are. And so, and I, I think holding, holding each other as, as humans as somehow problematic is a huge problem. So we can hold each other in our, in our humanity and good things will happen though. Not everyone can hold everyone 
in each other's humanity because of exactly what we're talking about in which mm -hmm. we're now defining each other's humanity right you know in a very particular way and that becomes harmful uh, right. to a life-ending degree for some people and so in this country i guess a question that's coming up for me is what are the ways in which our industry propagates exactly what you're describing well I mean, starting with the human resources department, which is not a statement on human resources people, but just even mm -hmm. our language, what does our language suggest? You know, talent management, um, mm -hmm. you know, so I think we could do some word changing. However, that can't just be lipstick on a pig, which I think is why you and I, like, what is it in me? Right. So I could change all the outward external things. Right. But if I don't work on me and what I'm thinking about. So you asked me a question about how do we perpetuate it? Okay. Our language, our interventions, we start at the top. Um, mm -hmm. I think we can be swayed from those at the top about who gets included, whose voices yep. get elevated, whose voices get marginalized, um, who has good ideas, what makes those ideas get taken up. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, what are we training for? Mm -hmm. um, what do our models put at the center? Positioning everything in terms of monetary terms. I Yeah, I totally agree with everything that you've said, um, especially when it comes to um, taking a look at ourselves um, and, you know, actually asking the, some of the hard questions about um, what is it I see and don't see? What's my positionality? What's the impact of my positionality? Um, who are the people I'm working with? Um, who are the, you know, what's, what are the positionalities of the, the leadership? What's the positionalities within the organization? Right. Am I the right person to be working with this group of folks? Um, or should I either find somebody, perhaps a, um, a person of color or, um, uh, so maybe somebody of a different gender or uh, sexual orientation, whatever, to to work with this group of folks or to partner with on the on the project. And even you know, I think other things like our willingness to take on certain jobs or to just take it on so quickly, right? Like so many organizations want to pull the training trigger, and it can be so tempting to just say, "Well, I've got this conflict resolution training I can do," and it's an easy thing to sell and in we go. Um, our own rigidity around our need for intellectual property or for systems and processes that, you know, we sell into a thing that makes us unique, I think can, can get in the way and, you know, continue to propagate it. But, but I think more than anything, it probably really is. Are we actually looking at ourselves and, and in, in accountability with people who, are parts of identity who have identities that are different than ours and that represent those who are the most marginalized and oppressed in systems. Yeah. I mean, you and I've been up against this with one client in particular, you know, of beginning to feel like we're perhaps not the right, you know, positionality yep. for the work that needs to be done. Um, you know, and where do we, where do we hand the work off potentially to somebody else? Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure I would have done that a few years ago. I'm not sure I would have recognized that. Could have made that more about like team dynamics and organization dynamics and how we hadn't 
address this, that, and the other thing. And, and um, you know, so it feels really important. And I think as I've yeah. gone through these characteristics of white supremacy and, you know, just looking for ways to, I don't name them, like, well, hey, you're doing a characteristic of white supremacy, you know, Mr. CEO, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but to pose a different question or an alternative angle or what if, or I'm not, I think we could do this another way uh, just to try and get at these a little bit. It always feels pretty scary. Mm -hmm. Almost always takes the conversation in a better place. I would say that that's interesting yes. to me. I would agree. There was something feel you like just a good said. place to, Oh, you have one more thought. I, I did. I had a thought and it seems to have slipped away again. Um, oh, there was something shoot. you said just a moment ago. As um, soon as we hang up, it's going to become a brilliant podcast because you're going to remember all these really important things that you just were wanting to say. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we'll see. Well, maybe it'll give us more material for later. Yeah, I think I think winding it down is is good given the fact that we're closing in here on forty minutes. And um, uh, yeah, there's so much there's so much that we could talk about in relationship to to these characteristics. And um, I mean, we could probably do an episode on each one of them and go for sure. Down it. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's worth for practitioners. I think it's worth, you know, printing out the the paper and spending some time with each of them. Each each of the characteristics has within it sort of a, a signs of the characteristic or like symptoms of it. And then it has um, antidotes, you know, that has been put that have been put forward. And so they're worth exploring um, in depth. And so that could be some homework. <laughs> I have another homework. I think you and I have been working through the systems change and deep equity mm, um, mm -hmm. workbook. It's from an organization called Change Elemental, and this is work-based, the workbook, so to speak, or I don't know what to call this, big, long, cool white paper with Cheryl Petty and Mark Leach, um, mm. and just really goes through a lot about how system change and deep equity needs to go together and the ways mm -hmm. in which those things frequently don't in our realm of, of, you know, OD practice. So I've also really appreciated what's become made visible to me by working my way through this and being like, Oh, I do that. And I do that. Mm -hmm. and I do that. Yes. We'll yes. put that in the show notes too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And soon, hopefully, we will be having on um, our first guest. So um, yes, we are. That is in the works. Yeah, looking forward to that, and super grateful for anybody who's been listening to this. Um, and please let us know what your thoughts, questions are, and um, how maybe we can help. Yeah, share, like, all the things. But they, they always say, like all the podcasts I listen to, they always say please leave a review. It's really helpful. Um, I don't know how true that is. I'm guessing it's true because every podcast seems to do it. So if, um, if you're enjoying this, leave a review. If you don't enjoy this, um, I would recommend that you open up a, like a Word document and just type in a negative review into the Word document, save it to your desktop. No, and then send it to us. And then send it to us. Sure. That's great. Yeah. You know, and I think we have to deal with uncomfortable reviews. It's so, true. Yeah, it's true. Let's do it, people. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, Shannon. It's been great to connect with you again. And, yeah, thank uh, you, Greg. Look forward to next week. Me too.
拜，拜。